Hey, Al here. Um, just want to apologize. We realized that our recording equipment was sitting on top of something which hummed. So there's a slight hiss in this recording. Um, but I think we fixed it for next time. Sorry about that. Hello, welcome to another episode of A Sideways Life Podcast, the honest guide to living and working abroad. I'm Leanne. And I'm Al. And we're back. Hello. Hi. Hello. How's have your you week been? Yeah, how's your week been? Ours has been busy. Yeah, I'm not used to this whole work thing. It's taking me by surprise. I know, I know. If you can hear in the background, our dog has now picked out his favourite toy, which is Squirrel, <laughs> which is the only <laughs> toy with a squeak in it. We so can only allow one with a squeak. You don't need that <laughs> shit in your life. <laughs> so if you hear him squeaking in the background, it's uh, it's not our chair, it's our dog. Anyway, back to things so... Who are we talking to this week? Who are we talking to this week? Well, I guess this was a fairly self-indulgent, selfish interview mm-hmm. to set up. So as you know, listeners, we may have mentioned it once or twice. We are currently in Croatia on the one-year visa. So the question we're asking ourselves is, where do we go next? And one place that keeps coming up when we read lots about expatriate, is that the official term? Expatriate, yep. Expatri- is Portugal. Mm. So we thought, well, what better way to find out about how to be an expat in Portugal than to speak to somebody who knows about how to be an expat in Portugal? Which is James Cave. Now, if you've ever Googled anything to do with living in Portugal, moving to Portugal, Portuguese visa, eating the feet of a pig... I think is one of his posts, then you will almost certainly have seen his website, portugalist.com, come up. That's portugalist.com. It's in the top, like, one, two, three search results of every single thing you can Google for Portugal. And that is because he started off about, I think it was seven years ago, I'll have to double-check my notes, but seven years ago he started off saying, I'm going to start a, po- uh, a website all about Portugal. And he's consistently posted amazing content every single week. He's even created a book. So if you're interested in living or moving to Portugal, then his website is a fantastic resource. Brilliant. I'm looking forward to this one. I want to hear all about Portugal and the possibilities. I think what's what's really good about this, we've spoken to lots and lots of different people about Portugal, and they all want to say it's zero tax, or it's this, or it's that, which is, it turns out, is complete bullshit. <laughs> is, that, is that the technical term? That's the technical term. <laughs> <laughs> is is complete bullshit. We're going to hear the honest guide to living and moving to Portugal as an expat or a digital nomad, and that's all going to come from my new guest, which is coming up now, James Cool, let's meet James. So today here with James Cave. Oh, James is just amazing. You're going to love James. He just knows, it seems, everything about Portugal. Um, so we will talk all about his book. We'll talk about his experiences in Portugal. We'll talk about his childhood where he spent some time in Portugal. And I've got loads and loads of questions, some of which are from you lovely listeners. So welcome, James. Lovely to see you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're, well, it's funny because when I... We are, I think we've told you, we're considering Portugal as our next stop. We're currently in Croatia. And whenever I Google something on uh, something to do with Portugal, you always come up one, two or three in the in the search engine ranking. So there's just absolutely no getting away from James <laughs> if you're uh, if you're Googling anything in Portugal. So I am interested, though, because reading your bio, um, it seems that although you am I right in thinking you're originally from Ireland? 
Yes, sort of. Um, I was actually born in England, but I I don't really consider myself uh, English. I only I think I was there for a year or two, um, and then my parents, who were living in England at the time, English English dad and Irish mom, decided to move to Portugal as charity workers. So they took me there when I was two until the ages of seven. Um, to the north of Portugal, mainly to a town um, called Penefiel, which is about an hour outside of Porto. Um, it's now, I think, mainly a commuter town for people working in Porto, but back then I think it was more its, its own little town. Um, and yeah, I went and uh, spent the first few years of my life there. I don't have a huge um, number of memories, but I, you know, I went to school there. Uh, to sort of the nursery school and then to um, to primary school and my uh, two brothers were born there as well. So I had always this little connection to Portugal that I knew about when I was um, growing up and actually spoke um, spoke Portuguese as a child um, to as good as a, a seven-year-old would speak it anyway. And then my parents decided to move to Ireland and um, I forgot every single bit of Portuguese that I had ever learned, um, which is a shame because I think now if people have um, uh, people have children, they they really try to focus on making them um, uh, grow up speaking two languages. It seems to be quite a trendy thing to do at the moment. In sort of about my mid twenties, I started um, I started freelancing more and more. I had been um, working in a job which was very suitable for freelancing um, and decided, you know, I wanted to get out of the office life and things like that. So I had more flexibility to travel. Um, and um, and Portugal was um, the place I ended up coming to a lot, especially in the beginning. Um, family visits were in Portugal and, and gradually that just ended up becoming becoming home rather than rather than Ireland. So what came first, you moving back to Portugal or Portugalist, the website? Um, me, me moving back, to, well, me spending more time in Portugal. Um, it was, um, I think, around 2013, I, I spent a, a larger chunk of time there. And um, about the same time, Portugal started becoming really popular as a travel destination, especially Lisbon. And I saw a lot of people writing about it, um, people who were sort of passing through, uh, um, you know, writing um, articles on the best sort of things to do in Lisbon. And they were all um, they were all great, but a little bit um, a little bit top level, uh, just in terms of um, in terms of what to see and do. But also they didn't really delve too much into the culture and things like that. And and I thought um, so. Perhaps a little naively, oh, I could, you know, I could do better. I could, um, I could go into a little bit more depth because I have that little bit more experience um, here. And so I started writing um, what was a travel blog, but I didn't start until about, I think, about 2016. Um, by that point, um, it was also becoming more of a destination to for, that people wanted to move to. So I was writing about travel in Portugal, which is really what I wanted to write about. And everyone was emailing me and asking me questions about moving to Portugal. Um, so I I had this little battle for a while where I was trying to run a, a travel website and and people were um, were looking for other kinds of information. And I fought that for a few years um, until eventually I just started giving up and just saying, okay, I will I will look into this and I will get people the answers that they need. 
Um, and in the last year or two with, with COVID, then it, it made the decision fairly certain that I, I shouldn't focus on travel so much anymore and focus on moving to Portugal instead. This is, uh, this is very interesting. I mean, I, I think we might have said before we hit record that we changed our podcast from The Travellers to A Sideways Life just for exactly that reason, that it just felt a little bit icky to start promoting travel when, you know, there's a global pandemic. Uh, yeah, and even before um, the global pandemic, travel was already becoming a little bit icky in some respects um, because there was just so much tourism going on um, prior to it. Um, and it had huge benefits to Portugal. I mean, it brought in so much money. A lot of people were able to turn um, an empty flat they had into an Airbnb and make uh, make money from it. Um, to I know plenty of people who sort of left um, traditional jobs and started tourism-based jobs. Um, so it had um, huge benefits. The city, uh, Lisbon, I remember back in 2013, was really quite a dark place. It was at the end of the um, uh, financial crisis. The um, there was no money to to do a lot of things. The buildings were in the, in the city centre were really falling down, um, much more so than um, now. A lot of them have been repaired. But it was that money from tourism, I think, that came in was really responsible for um, for fixing a lot of things. But at the same time, it was um, it was a very difficult place to live with um, so many tourists. There's uh, the streets are incredibly narrow. Um, the um, so, so you were always sort of fighting a sea of people. Um, the sort of uh, influx of people wanting accommodation for rental purposes meant that um, a normal rental accommodation was 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 being gotten rid of in favor of that, and so it did create a lot of problems as well. So, I did feel a little bit um, in two minds about constantly promoting um, tourism to Portugal. Um, I still think it's a good thing, but it's it's a difficult thing when you're when you can't control the say the negative effects of it. Absolutely. Um, so before we dive into um, the subject of moving to Portugal, which I'm guessing that a lot of people listening are going to be wanting me to ask you about, mm -hmm. um, can you give us? I know you said before you didn't like the high level blog post, but can you give us maybe a thirty second high level idea of? Um, of what it's like between the north of Portugal, the mid Lisbon, and then the south. So, yes, you have the the north of Portugal and then the um, the south of Portugal. South actually kind of extends up to Lisbon, even though I think when you or I would look at it, we would sort of think of that as the middle of the country. But for a lot of people, they consider Lisbon and down as the south. Um, the Algarve at the very bottom of the country is. Um, somewhere that I think anybody from the north of Europe especially will know is a holiday destination. It's got some of the best beaches in the world. Um, it's a very laid back area that's, um, that's focused on tourism, especially sort of um, people who are coming for a, a summertime to sort of lie on the beach um, and, and that kind of tourism. Then um, above that, you get into the Alentejo, which is um, traditionally more a rural area. It's, the, I think, the largest region in Portugal. Um, it's very farming focused. Um, up until up until there uh, was more people moving there, it was mainly it was mainly mixed between people who worked in agriculture um, and older people. A lot of the villages there are very very 
um, they're small, they're, uh, the younger people have moved out, you go, you drive through and it's just people sort of sitting in benches and relaxing and talking. It's very, got a very nice feel to it. Um, and then moving up again, you have um, Lisbon, which is the capital city, um, and the sort of area surrounding it. So they often include um, other bits uh, nearby, like Cascais and Costa de Caparica and Sintra, which are all um, all great places to live, but they're often included within Lisbon. The next regions then you have are the central Portugal and northern Portugal. Um, northern Portugal is a lot um, greener. It's... Um, it's where you'll find um, Porto, but also um, other smaller cities nearby, like Braga and Guimarães. They're both um, they're both very nice cities to visit and consider living in as well. Um, and then you have um, the islands, which um, are part of part of Portugal as well, but not um, mainland Portugal. So you have uh, Madeira and you have the Azores. Um, Madeira is um, they're both. Um, incredibly beautiful. Personally, I um, I like the Azores uh, much more. It is um, sort of a mix between somewhere that looks a little bit like Hawaii and Ireland, um, but with a sort of almost tropical climate. There are parts of it that grow uh, pineapples um, there um, and sort of other exotic fruits there. So if someone's considering going to or coming to Portugal on a digital nomad visa, can you talk us through, first of all, the visa situation. I've heard about D7 golden visa. Um, and then afterwards, I'll ask you a bit more about the tax, which I think are the two biggest questions that I see on, on a lot of forums. Sure. So um, so Portugal doesn't really have a digital nomad visa as such. Um, the ones that I think are specifically being called a digital nomad visa are places where you can go um, work for maybe a year and not necessarily have to pay taxes there. Um, what Portugal has instead is it has um, residency visas which allow you to move to Portugal, but they are taking, um, but they are considering people with income that that's common among digital nomads, sort of um, freelancer-based income or remote job-based income. Um, so there are there are three really, um, regardless of whether you're in the sort of digital nomad or freelancer category or, or in some other um, age group. There's three that people tend to ask the most about on the site, um, which are the D7, um, the D2, and the Golden Visa. Um, and those three um, are, um, they're kind of confusing at first, but the Golden Visa is probably the, the simplest one to explain, um, which is where you get your residency in return for making an investment in Portugal. Um, and that investment can be as simple as buying a property in Portugal, which is, um, uh, which is which is a great investment to make, really, because you don't have a huge amount of risk, and it's something that you're able to enjoy. Um, so at the moment, the the rules are about to change, but generally speaking, it's if you buy a property that's worth five hundred thousand or more, um, that can qualify you for the golden visa. That amount um, actually gets cut down in those various sort of ways in which it, it can be less. It can be less if the property is in need of renovation and more than 30 years old, that can be cut down to, I think it's 350,000. And then if it's in an area with um, um, with very few other inhabitants living there, it can get cut down again um, to, I think 280,000 to do that. The real benefit of it is that you only have to spend an average of seven days per year in um, Portugal. 
which it so I think as a digital nomad, that's actually if you've got the money and you do have to have the money, you can't um, get a mortgage or a loan for it, unfortunately. That is fantastic. You only need to spend seven days a year here. You can spend the rest of the time traveling around. Um, and um, at the end of the five years, you can apply for permanent residency and Portuguese citizenship. But the next best one for a lot of people is the D7, which is um, sometimes called the, the passive income visa or the retirement visa. I don't think these are official terms that the Portuguese government has come up with themselves, but it's just that they often um, work very well with for people with those types of incomes, especially um, a, a pension. Um, so this is for people who have a regular income that's coming in, and it could be from, say, a pension, it could be from rental properties, it could be from dividends. Um, increasingly, they seem to be allowing people who are um, freelancers or remote workers as well. Um, it's a little bit more of a gray area because not everybody is accepted for that, and it's kind of a mystery as to why not. Um, I think this, this is where... Um, using an, a sort of a lawyer um, can help because um, you can apply for all these things yourself. But the benefit of a lawyer, I think, is that they, they're dealing with this every single day. They're dealing with the individual consulates every day, which is what you apply for. So you'd have a, a consulate perhaps in the UK or in the US that you'd be going through. They would be given the requirements from the government in Portugal, but their interpretation of them may be different from um, one that's you know that's a few hundred miles in um, in the same country but in another direction, and then the last one, then the D two, um, it can be popular. Um, is it's more for people who want to start a business in Portugal, um, or to or to work as a freelancer here, um, and. If you are already doing that, it can be, um, you know, it can make Portugal a very, very appealing place um, because uh, the sort of requirements in terms of how much money you need to invest in order to get going and how much you need to be bringing in in order for them to consider you um, likely to be successful, it's lower than in other countries. Um, and so it, it can make uh, Portugal a, a good place if you're thinking about starting a business somewhere. So what we're confused about is we have been looking into these yep. uh, these visas. Now, some people with a D7, what they've been saying, and these are lawyers who we've spoken to, and, and they seem to be conf conflicting with each other because one of them said that if you're a freelancer under a D7 and you do your work, even though you're working for a UK company, you do your work in a house in Portugal, you are subject to 48, top layer 48% tax. Whereas others have said that you can actually offer, you can only pay tax on thirty five percent using a simplified regime. Now, does any of that make any sense to you? Can, can you put, shed any light on? It? Um, well, I don't know if I'd say it makes sense, but um, I've definitely heard the the two of those things said before. Um, yes. Yeah, so, well, the first thing to say is that this, unfortunately, is an aspect um, not just of these visas, but of everything in terms of moving to Portugal and life in Portugal, is that. There are um, requirements for various things, whether it's taxes or something like that. Um, but when you speak to a professional, um, whether it's a lawyer, an accountant or something else, everybody seems to have a different interpretation of it. And it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. It still doesn't make sense to me how it can't be more rigorous. Um, but um, what you often need to do is you need to speak to several people um, and you need to 
kind of take the you know the general consensus and and hope for the best um i wish i could say it was there was a there was a better way or there was one person that always got it right so i think what you're probably coming up against there is the difference between um nhr which is the non-habitual tax regime and you also have the simplified regime for example as a freelancer you might move to portugal and you might fall into um a category where i think it's it's called the esteemed professions or the um the sort of desired professions of people that they're looking for um and uh, they that list gets updated every few years um it's a, often included it people very much so uh, translators um and uh, journalists has been another one um but sometimes it's um it's it's other professions like electricians and dentists as well if you fall under that under the nhr you could potentially pay a flat rate of 20% but there's a there's also another regime that's sometimes recommended for freelancers and that's the simplified regime um which um for whatever reason there's very little information about it in comparison to um to nhr and here you the benefit of it is you're often you often have a an amount that is assumed to be expenses so if you were in um service uh, service industry sort of um a writer or something like that they will assume that i think it's a, it's a 35% or 25% of your income is just expenses um i'd need to i'd need to double check that figure but as a, but as a, as an example um and then you would only be taxed on the remainder so if you are spe- and then you'd be taxed at you know these progressive um tax rates which is sort of starts at zero to about 7500 you get taxed this much and then the next amount you get taxed this much it's similar to a lot of um other countries um just on on the nhr this is often when it's written about online people tend to um it's it's not quite correct what they say uh, a lot of places write that you know portugal you know you can live in portugal especially as a um as a freelancer or someone who does uh, remote work and you can pay yourself in dividends from a foreign company and you'll pay and you pay 0% tax um unfortunately that's not that's not generally the case um, um which is a shame because it would be great if there was um there was a place where it's that easy to um to avoid taxes so you really got to sort of get the information from people um and then weigh it all up and and see which is best for you a lot of people say oh, i want to pay zero i want to go and live somewhere and pay zero percent tax and then they go oh well what if i set up a company in the cayman islands then live in portugal and our research has suggested that anywhere there's a tax um, I don't want to say exile because I'm not sure that's the right word, but anyway, it's very, very beneficial towards tax. <clears throat> Goes on a blacklist for Portugal. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's people far cleverer than, than we are who are working out ways, you know, of avoiding, working out ways of avoiding us avoiding paying tax. That was a very cl- clumsy sentence. Um, I, yeah. If you are, if the tax is a big, if you're listening to tax is a big thing, then um, certainly in Croatia, you get a one year visa with 0% tax on the income that you generate outside of the UK. Um, oh, sorry, outside of Croatia. That's very, very beneficial. We kind of assume there'd be something similar in Portugal and there's nothing we can find. Um, it seems that it's a very different way of doing things. Why do you think they've not cottoned on to this idea of just giving freelancers 0% tax for a year? Um, well, actually, they, they do have um, something uh, like this, but it's more on your social security. You get... Um, uh, um, 
you get a year basically where you I think you don't maybe you don't pay for the first year and then the second year you get a reduction so you do have that it's not um, on your taxes um, I think like a lot of European countries you have this um, you have two types of taxes you pay one is what you know seems like normal taxes and then the other is social security which uh, I guess um, gets cut up and goes into things like healthcare and things like that so you you do as a freelancer get a discount on that um, it depends what route you go down um, but I think your you know your your point about um, you know people Portugal doesn't isn't trying to become a tax haven um, and it's certainly it's certainly not trying to become an, an easy one. There's a lot of people in Portugal who are, um, who would like not to pay um, taxes, um, but um, for them, I don't think any, they would ever consider Portugal the you know the place to come and do that. Um, that's never really been a part of the you know the the approach that Portugal has had. Yeah, and I think that and I'm, I've just finished reading Jimmy Carr's new book. It's called Before and Laughter, okay. and he goes into a lot of a lot of depth about the whole tax thing, which was what he was saying almost like 12, 14 years ago now. Um, and he said his his um, the thing that he paid into was legitimate. It's just that the revenue decided that it wasn't afterwards, and so he had to pay back. He says he's paid back millions in back tax and fines and stuff. So I mean, if if a guy like that has got great advisors who tell him and that something's right and it's not, then um, yeah, what well, us with a Google, uh, with a browser and a, and a notepad, we're not going to work it out, are we? Mm. So before I go on to your book, um, I just want to ask you a, a bit of a weird left field question. Um, if you had to leave Portugal for whatever reason, yeah. you couldn't stay there anymore, where do you think you might go? I I don't know actually. Um, I, I wish I I wish I did know. I um, I wrote another book um, when I was living in uh, Germany with a German friend um, about German culture. Um, it has a, a very stupid title, which I can never decide whether it was a good move or not. It was called German Men Sit Down to Be and Other Insights into German Culture. Um, and it was just a, it was a fun look at the do's and don'ts of living in in Germany, um, because I really yeah I really liked that aspect of uh, German culture. Some people don't like it. Um, I thought it was quite entertaining. You if you're a man, you sit down to pee. You you definitely do not cross the road unless it's a green man. Um, you don't make noise on a Sunday to the point you can't even run your washing machine or you can't use any power tools and things like that. Um, that um, for, uh, I, I liked I liked that. I thought it was a, I thought it was a nice place to live. I thought people there actually had quite a good um, work life um, balance because on Sundays all the shops are shut. Um, there's nothing to do apart from relax. It's, it's forced relaxation day, so everybody goes hiking or goes into the woods for walks. And um, yeah, it was just a, it was a very nice place to live. It doesn't have the same weather, I think that um, uh, that the south of Europe has, and you know, there's a lot of things that it doesn't have. Um, but I did I did enjoy my time there, and for a while I was sort of torn between the two, um, between specifically um, Berlin and, and Lisbon. Fair enough. So talking of writing, then your book is out now. It came out on, I think it came out on Friday. Does that sound right? Um, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's it's very recent. Um, it's called Moving to Mo Portugal Made Simple. Um, I've got my copy. I'm, I, I'm not going to pretend I've read it yet because I only downloaded it yesterday. Um, but uh, by the time that Leanne and I do our intro and outro, I should have uh, I should have worked my way through it. Um, fantastic. I mean, just the description alone makes me, uh, it, it, it's definitely something which I want to read. And I think that anyone who's thinking of going to Portugal should read. Um, so I think it's free to you on Kindle Limited. 
So definitely, if you're looking to go to Portugal, go and get James's book. Otherwise, if you just want to dip your toe into Portugal, go to portugalist.com, Portugal, then I-S-T at the end. Is there anywhere else that people can get in touch with you, James? Um, th those are the best places, really. Um, the book, I think, is, um, you know, if you're thinking of uh, moving to Portugal, it's I th I'm hoping that it's going to be helpful for people because it lays out things in a step-by-step -step way. Um, most of the information is on the website, but um, it can be difficult. You if you go to the website, you have to know what you're looking for in order to find it. Whereas the book sort of tells you from start to finish, you know, this is what your journey will be like in terms of what you'll need to do in terms of um, whether you'll need a visa or not, what you what sort of pieces of paper you'll need to get when you first arrive, how you should think about settling in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas um, the website, yeah, you need to look for that. So um, the website, I think, is the main place to um, to find the articles and to get in touch with me as well. I am on social media, but I'm just not very, very good at it. And trying to um, make more of an effort with um, with in Instagram and um, and Twitter, and um, one day I might even go on TikTok. But yeah, the website is a much better idea. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for your time, and everyone, go and check out Portugalist. Thanks, James. Well, I am excited. Me too. Portugal sounds cool. I know, I know. And it's um, it's weird because we, we've also been speaking privately to a tax advisor and uh, it actually seems relatively advantageous for a freelancer to live in Portugal. Now, of course, we're not tax advisors. You need to do your own research. We're happily put you in touch with the lovely lady who we're talking to who came through James, so thank you, James. Um, but if you compare it to living in, for example, America or living... Actually, that's a bad comparison because America's got this weird, like, W12 or something where um, you will be taxed American no matter where you live. Sorry, Americans. Um, but if you live in the UK, it seems, seems to be much more advantageous to live in Portugal and pay taxes in Portugal. However, <laughs> caveat... Do your own research. Anyway, <laughs> what else did you learn from this? I think I just really enjoyed the the honesty of it. I like how much James has put into what he does. He's clearly mm. researched a lot, looked into a lot, lived it. And, and I just really appreciate anybody who has, let's be honest, the fucks <laughs> and the time to put a really valuable resource together, multiple viable resources together to help other people fulfill their dreams and, and live and work abroad. Like that's what we're trying to do. And he is doing, he's taking that to another level. So I love that about James. Exactly. And if you jump on his website right now, you're going to see the top four posts are number one, understanding permanent residency in Portugal. Well, that's what you want to know about. Number two, six books about moving to Portugal. Cool. Number three, chartering a flight to bring your pets to Portugal. Well, of course. And number four, the seven wonders of Portuguese gastronomy. Am I saying that right? Gastronomy? Absolutely. But your man's talking about food, pets, and how to live somewhere you want to live. Like, what's not to like? If only you had a, had a post on gin. <laughs> Future post idea there for you, James. You're welcome. You can Absolutely. have that one. You can have that. Mm. And how cool would it be if, if since talking to James, he's made us some contacts, made us some connections, read his book, and we end up moving him to Portugal, and that's our forever life. I know. 
this could be foreshadowing listeners what our entire side of life is going to be from from summer next year james you might have literally just changed our life changed our lives james. he could change your life too Yes, you can do it too. <laughs> Sounds like an infomercial. It, it does. It's just a bit salesy, isn't it? Yeah. And if you are not happy with your life, I just scared the dog then. If you're not happy with your life, then just buy this six CD set for $39.99. Shipped to you. It's rushed to you. By, oh, I, I can't remember. God, it was. I think I bought some uh, Anthony Robbins CDs. Of course you did. Of course I did, of yeah, because I'm a massive. Did you, didn't you do that retreat as well? You walked over coals. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Although I did do that. I did do that. So you, me saying I don't want to talk about it means I do actually want to talk about it. Anyway, talking of talking, I have talked too much. Yeah, I think we so we will see you next week for an interview which is as yet to be confirmed but we think it's going to be around how to make money when you live abroad an important question to answer really you need money for all kinds of things like pet care health care <laughs> bye guys bye 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 I don't want to be one of those people, but did you know it's only 44 days until Christmas? You love Christmas. I freaking love Christmas. It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs>